You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. I really loved the notion of people getting together and being better together than they could actually be individually. Hey folks, welcome back. This is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate your time. I do not take it lightly. There are about 100 billion things vying for your attention and the fact that you're here listening to this or watching this speaks volumes. So thanks. Before I introduce our guests, Gabby Reese, Gabrielle Reese. Oh, Gabby's fine. Okay. We'll go with Gabby today. <laughs> um, in more detail, of course, you probably know all about her, but anyways, I'll introduce her in more detail in a moment. But before I do, unbeatablemind.com has uh, information on the new foundation course, which we recently updated. Uh, over 12,000 people have gone through this training. It's integrated leadership development. And if you don't know what that means, just think we bring it all together for you so you develop along physically, mentally, emotionally, intuitionally, and spiritually lines of development, um, seeking to evolve ourselves to our highest capacity as a human being. And we call that fifth plateau world-centric leader. I should probably take that course. <laughs> Ultimate, well, you are already at fifth no, plateau world-centric I'm like leadership. I'm like plateau one, first life, buddy. <laughs> Plateau one is like survival mode. I think you've, you've ascended beyond that. <laughs> I might be that. there. Some days that reptilian brain is strong, okay? <laughs> For sure. Well, we all, get, we all get sucked into earlier plateaus. At any rate, if you're interested, go check it out. It is world class. And um, I'm not saying that from my ego self. It is really good, right, Jeff? See, yeah. see Jeff's agreeing with me. All right. Gabby, thanks so much for being here. Thanks and for coming And tell you what, if, you've, um, if you're watching the video, watch the footage on the training we just did. Yeah, you did great. Well, thank you. It's no surprise, but you yeah, did great. I'm a waterman, but I was still, I was challenged by it. It was, it was very, very rewarding to get in the pool and to work with weights underwater and to have to control the breath. And, you know, there's, I want to talk more about that, but it was a super cool experience. Yeah, I appreciate that. So we're in Malibu mm -hmm. and uh, this is your home. Um, you've been here for 22 years. You live with um, this, what's his name, surfer dude? Yeah, uh, the last name's like... Hamill so something. Hamill, Hamill. I see, he, we've <laughs> actually posted a video of Laird riding this wave the other day, and it was really cute. It was from Peru, and it was a four-minute ride because they're on these foils. Wow. But the guy who shot it put Laird Hamill Tom. Hamill Tom. Right? Yeah, so we, it's Laird Hamill Tom. Well, we'll go with that, Laird. <laughs> so um, it'll be fun to talk later about life with Laird. I'm sure you've had that conversation a lot, so we don't need, need to spend much time there. Laird's interesting. He's mind. an interesting cat. He made me a really nice uh, coffee with all sorts does of that. stuff in it. He yeah. said it should fuel me for 24 hours. You'll be good. You're <laughs> I'm ready good to go. To, I'm good to go. But this is about you. And um, I want to come back to the training in XPT, but that's like your current incarnation. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about 
you know, previous incarnations. Um, where do you grow up? Give us a sense of like how you developed your initial version of unbeatable mind that led you to be an elite athlete and, you know, to do the, some of the cool things you're doing. I think, you know, you'll hear this a lot from people that, you know, fear and that survival mechanism can be a very powerful motivator. For sure. And so when I was a young, when I was a young child, <laughs> I was born uh, at a very young age. Yes. Uh, where were you? From, I, I was, I was uh, born in California where I never lived. And when I was two years old, I know it sounds strange. I lived in Mexico city with my mother. My parents uh, were not together and I got whooping cough. And so I actually ended up living from two to seven with friends of my mother, a couple, he had just come back from Vietnam and either they couldn't or decided not to have children. And so I lived with them in New York and Long Island for five years. Interesting. Yeah. Did for, they become like surrogate parents to you? Yes. Mm -hmm. I called them aunt and uncle Joe. And so, you know, did my hair in the morning, mm -hmm. disciplined me, loved me. And then when I was seven, my mother was getting remarried and my stepfather was from Puerto Rico. And so I moved down to Puerto Rico and then eventually I really grew up in the Virgin Islands. And what's no interesting kidding. about that for me is my father is from Trinidad. Hmm. So the whole side of the Reese family is West Indian and Trinidadian. So what was great about growing up in St. Thomas was to have a personal experience with a culture very similar to my father's. Interesting. Yeah, because my well, father... Trinidad is a, what? It's an island country, right? Yeah, Trinidad and Tobago. Tobago. And, and okay. uh, it's a British, you know, like every all the islands have all the different, like we were the United States Virgin Islands. We used to visit the British Virgin Islands. Then you mm -hmm. have St. Bart's, which is like Dutch and French on one same island. So I was curious about that. Are they actually their own country or are they just... They part are, of Britain as a correct, and so like okay. if you have um, the language they speak, a lot of their culture and history that and their money and things like that is reflective of the country that's right. basically I don't want to say occupying, ensuring their safety, <laughs> but occupied. <laughs> occupied yes, right. and it literally is sort of really funny because it can be one island very close to another, and they just have completely different sort of right. country leaders. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up there, and then when I was going into my junior year of high school, I. I didn't really have a lot of direction. You know, my father died when I was five. My stepfather, who I liked very much, and, and I still know to this day, actually, I have a relationship with him. He was very, very kind to me. But my parents then, my stepfather and my mother broke up when I was about 12 or 13. So at about 15, I think I was heading towards some walls mm -hmm. pretty mm -hmm. quickly. Right. And so my mother made the decision to move me to St. Petersburg, Florida, my junior year of high school, which I was not were you an athlete by then? I was athletic. You were athletic. I had dibble dabbled in volleyball. I have a very athletic mother and you sort of lived outside naturally. Right. So you were, you were moving in a primal way. You didn't have a lot of stuff to do. You had two TV channels. Mm -hmm. So I think I would say, but I wasn't in organized sports so much. I, I tried volleyball a little bit in like sixth, seventh grade and then a little bit again in 10th grade. And then when I moved to St. Pete, I was already six foot three. I went to a very small Christian school, Keswick Christian. So that was also a complete change in culture coming from the Caribbean mm -hmm. where like all the adults are free love out of their mind, partying, <laughs> that's what they're doing, you know, and now I'm strict very strict. Right. And I started playing volleyball and basketball, and I had a basketball coach at that time, actually, who had a really incredible impact on me. I think by nature, if I could be honest, I was always a very disciplined person and also not really into self-harming myself, mm -hmm. like not that experimental, but I was angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think I, any rebellion I had was just really out of sort of anger, not, you know, so I've always had kind of natural bumpers, if you will. Yeah. And yeah. then when I moved to St. Pete, 
I fought that for a bit. And then all of a sudden I just started to soar. Mm-hmm. I had a really nice boyfriend who came from a very nice family, completely a different look than what I had seen. Mm-hmm. And it was just that reminder of like, oh, there are people sort of living that way. Yeah, there's a law of contrast. All of a sudden you saw the gap. And Correct. You to try to close that. And, uh, cool. and coaches that said like, hey, you know, you're talented. And, mm-hmm. and then my senior year, I, and actually the principal of the school, my mom was going to move again. The principal of the school said, no, send Gabrielle here. I live with the principal of the conservative school. Really? Mr. Tim Greener and his wife, Becky, because I, I sort of had an opportunity to have a launching pad. Mm-hmm. It was my senior year. I'd just gotten into sports. And then I ended up pursuing a college career in sports. I, I was offered scholarships, which was if you had said to me in St. Thomas in 10th grade, like, you're going to go to college, period. I mm-hmm. would have been like, uh, why mm-hmm. and how? And then on top of it, getting an athletic scholarship in such a short period of time was was a real surprise. Right. And I would say it's not that I wasn't prepared, but when I went to college, I was 17 and I probably was coachable. I think if someone said, hey, you're really athletic, I don't know how athletic I am. I know mm-hmm. that I'm coachable. Right. And I think most of my teammates thought I wouldn't make it there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And that's where I grew up. Then because I you lacked the experience. Experience. It was just all very new to me. So yeah. I um, I ended up, you know, going to college, playing my first year, starting to model in that summer so I could make my own money. Mm-hmm. And then my after my second season, my sophomore year, I gave up my scholarship. I paid to, I paid to play. And my coach at Florida State, Cecile Renaud. Why did you give up the scholarship? Because of NCAA ruling and because I was working in fashion, it was sort of like this calculated risk of I could probably make more money doing that. I was restricted to legal holidays. Mm. And so rather than getting- So they, didn't, they said you couldn't go model. You couldn't I, take another job, basically. I could. I and just- And keep the scholarship. It was getting touchy. Yes. And so rather than deal with that, I, I just paid to play and- and then, you know, sort of one thing led to another. So I was working in fashion. I was playing ball in school. I was improving in volleyball. Um, I had a really great coach who sort of taught me about personal accountability. And I got to travel the world. And then after I was done playing ball, I realized that fashion, first of all, my size alone created a limitation, even though I was doing very well. And I was more, I felt like inside of me wasn't more of an athlete. In fashion, you mean? Or, Correct. Yes, that makes You know, sense. it's like yeah. I wasn't very, I could barely fit into anything and I was not that diverse. And so it, it was sort of taught me. It was Mo- another Most thing. fashion models are really petite, right? Lots very, smaller. like if you're anywhere near my height, you're at least 25 pounds or 30 pounds lighter right. than I am And then they'll here. Photoshop any extra weight on who they want. Yeah, whatever it takes, right? <laughs> This is realistic. Right. I can remember seeing pictures of myself being like, that's really strange. I don't. That's not my body. I don't think I look like that. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Oh, looks good. But I don't think I look like that. So there was so much, uh, there were so many educational moments, you know, traveling and you imagine you're 18 by yourself. You're flying to Egypt. There's no cell phones. Like it's all that. And so when I finished, I, I, uh, college, I, I wasn't ready to live in New York full time anymore. And my career was sort of in a weird place. And then I, uh, someone said after I picked up the beach game, weirdly, mm-hmm. on, in Miami. And then after about a year and a half, a woman named Barbara Bierman, very lovely woman who had a real job, said, you should move to California and try to play volleyball for real. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't know better, I was like, oh, that's a great idea. Beach volleyball. So at 22, I moved out to California. Okay. And that's where sort of everything started to click. Yeah. Let me ask you. So a lot of people you know, who grow up with a single parent or mm-hmm. you know, have that kind of like lack of... Um, kind of structure and modeling carry some sort of shadow into their life that yeah. ends up 
you know, being self-sabotaging. Yeah. Did that happen with you? Did I think have- it's a conversation I probably have with myself each day, which is, mm-hmm. and I've talked about this a lot in the way of being groomed to be a cha- whatever a champion is. I, I don't mean that in a loose way. I mean, you know what it is? It's switching it from, oh, I don't deserve this because mm-hmm. none of us deserve anything. Right. Right. Yeah. That's so, just, that's a story that's right. We don't deserve anything. Built it's an early childhood. Right? So it's grace. Yeah. Right? right. Like it's allowing yourself the grace that, um, for the reasons you don't understand, you're given the opportunities. And so the best way you could show that you are deeply grateful is to do something positive with it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you think it's you. I believe that we're all sort of portals just mm-hmm. taking up space and representing something. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as you can keep all of that in check and receive it as grace, but I'll be honest, I probably, it was, I suffered my entire professional athletic career with not knowing really how to handle it mm-hmm. and feeling uh, badly or guilty for being, for getting attention or extra opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the shadows mm-hmm. that I carried. And even now, like I don't like to be separated or uh, singled out. It mm-hmm. doesn't make me over. I have some of that going on. Myself. Comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's also unnatural, right? Like yeah. there's something. Well, really- some people just, love that like they just yes, want to be the center of attention yes but it doesn't mean it's natural right like it's it right. it, there's something and i'm not saying it's bad so i think there's a a little bit of that and sometimes the that, problem that with by that, the way is a real challenging dance for an influencer for someone who's in the spotlight a lot right like you and laird how do you how yeah, do you 30 years of being the, like i don't right, like attention like, i don't want the attention but everyone says you're gonna get the well, attention and then you're strategic I'll, I'll lay one on you i'm i'm pretty good and i understand that system that chessboard very well i've been playing that chessboard since i was 18 right so that's the other side is being completely forthcoming about I have played that board. I understand that attention board because if I play it here, then all of a sudden it creates opportunity that I get to do these projects or work that I really feel strongly about over on this other side. Mm-hmm. So it's not only kind of navigating the internal, but it's also you have to say, it's like, oh, yeah, no, but I'm participating fully in whole. Right. It's almost like you, with a, you know, do a redirect of that energy into the good work. Right? Yes. Because there's a shadow in that cultural energy of wanting to put someone on a pedestal. Oh, and yeah. what the, the graceful way, to use your term, is yeah. to just take that energy and spin it around you into the good work. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like an Aikido move. Yes. And also, so to you're be not honest, rejecting it, you're just redirecting it. That's right. And to be honest, like when you're at home by yourself, you know, we always say, Laird and I talk about this a lot. If you, you can't, you, if you're saying to yourself, I'm not going to take the criticisms except for the people very close to me in my real life, Mm, mm -hmm. the feedback. I can't take the glory stuff either. Right. So when the world is saying, oh, you are amazing, or you suck because they don't understand the nuance about you, Mm -hmm. you have to let go of both. That's right. And so I I think that that's been very, very helpful. And it's always about having people close to you that love and support you. They understand your missions, but also they will tell you, hey, you're behaving badly. Um, but I have that built in because mm-hmm. I live with Laird. And, and quite frankly, <laughs> we saw um, a little bit about that today. How, how oh, that yeah, works Laird in doesn't the dynamic. mix hold back. words. And he, you know, I, I always found it interesting because Laird has gotten some, uh, you know, obviously a certain level of attention. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a great communicator and mm-hmm. he has certain things about him that are like polished. Mm-hmm. And then, like, he, 
but he's still Laird, who grew up in Hyena on Kauai with an outhouse. <laughs> and so sometimes he'll go surfing and people give him a hard time he'll, or whatever. He'll jump right back. No, into he, he, no, because he says that, you know, violence and stuff, the limitation of that. Mm -hmm. But I always find it fascinating that people don't realize, okay, yes, that person's gotten attention, but understand they still have like output and mm -hmm. wattage mm -hmm. and like all these things that sort of got them there. Yeah. And so they're not really a wallflower in that way. So right, right. living with him, I think has been a really, really natural tethering for myself and for him. Cause mm -hmm. it's always checks and, and balance. balance each other We're out, always yeah. like, it wouldn't be like, we've known each other for 24 years. It'd be like, are you really like, did you, are you, is that are you, you the, are you the serious one in the relationship? What does that mean? Well, it seems like Laird is very playful and I see that in you as well, but oftentimes, you know, yes. there, there needs to be a balancing effect. Yes, and I so, think I think Laird is definitely more Dennis the Menace and fun and playful. And I am more of like the gatekeeper of time and schedules. Yeah, let me ask this another way. Yeah, right. so that's where I'm going. So yeah. this works because the two of you are together. Like, would yes. we have Laird's Superfoods were it not for Gabby Reese? I, I don't, I, I, mean, I imagine we would, but it may not be where it is. Right. Like, I think I, I probably, or hopefully I've participated, um, but I think it's like anything, all of the elements make up the formula. That's right. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I, uh, and I have a sense of Laird and also what Laird needs in that, for example, to confine Laird is, is not really to use Laird to his fullest potential mm -hmm. to know, to say to him, okay, we need you to show up for two days and then go and be, do your thing. Mm -hmm. Because the magic of Laird is for him it's to actively... It's when he's able to do his thing. Correct. And then to bring that energy back. Into, That's right. I agree with that. And yeah. so, you know, we always joke, like, if he has a project out, let's say a, a book or a film or something, and he has to go, like, a week promoting, the funny thing will be like, yeah, I, just, I don't surf anymore. I just talk about it. And you know this. Like, when you get into anything, like, if you're, like, in the wellness space or self-care, all of a sudden you're helping everyone else and you talk about it and you yeah. have manuals about it. But you actually don't do it yourself anymore, right? right? So, I mean, th just talk to any trainer. They're at the gym all day. The last thing they want to do is go into the gym. So I think you're always sort of calibrating that very fine line of how do I keep expanding as a person mm -hmm. and growing and getting mm -hmm. new stories, mm -hmm. not the right. same stories, yeah. mm -hmm. because that's easy to lock into. Like, mm -hmm. that really worked. Okay, that's cool. But that was like 20 years ago, mm -hmm. like just something new. And so I think with Laird, he naturally really seeks that out. Mm -hmm. He's not a person who wants to even talk about stuff from the past. He doesn't need it. He's on a quest. Mm -hmm. And that's really helped me in other ways where it's like, just keep moving forward. Right. So you said 22 is when you came out to California. Mm -hmm. That's when your professional volleyball career started to take off. So what, what was that like? Tell us about beach volleyball. Like, I don't know much about it. I see him sure. playing it on the beach. It yeah. looks rigorous. It's rigorous. intense. Yeah. Um, Try doing a bikini. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't want to, but I I'm sure I could. <laughs> I just had a vision of you. A vision. Not, not wasn't um, a pretty one, right? No, you know, for me, I have to tell you that that's when you know the universe is conspiring. You know, always for you. If we, you know, even when it's not going good, it's like there's sort of all this design in everything. Mm -hmm. And I moved out here and I was transitioning from six indoor to doubles. And I, and I was very specialized in college. So fours, four on four beach volleyball opened up right when I came to California. So that meant I could transition and play that game at a high level pretty quickly. Because it wasn't that different from six. It was close. Are the rules different? Not, uh, here and there, but it's okay, so close. Right. Okay. And and so it really fed into my strengths. And then I was I was drafted. I was the first draft pick for a team. 
the following year, I signed my Nike deal. They bought me a team. So were these professional volleyball teams? Yeah. A lot of these girls came from the USA indoor team. Okay. And you're sponsored. So there's some, a little bit of remuneration of some sort. Yeah. So I, you make money, you have prize money and things like that. It's, it's pretty minimal, but I signed a deal with Nike Mm -hmm. and then they designed a shoe for me. Nice. And so it all, that's really where I made my income from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I was doing a lot of other things. I call it this, you know, the sort of the song and dance to support my volleyball habit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you had to be a spokesperson. I was, or I was doing television and, for and, MTV right. and I was doing all this stuff. So really I had taken all the stuff I had learned from being in fashion mm-hmm. and sort of parlayed it into this, to this other side of my career. And it was also even the game of if you're going to do, if you play a sport that's small, that nobody sees that when you have a commercial or they're going to see you out there, that's what I mean about the chessboard. I would be like, well, who's going to shoot it and what's the script? So I understood then, even then, if someone is going to see me, I need to make sure they're seeing me the right way right. because right. I'm not on TV every week. Right. So I think a lot of that came into play. And then I played force for a long time and then that tour went away and then I played doubles and then I ended up retiring after that. Is that an Olympic sport by any chance? Doubles is. Doubles is? Yeah. Fours, they couldn't compete. That was the part of the problem was it took so long to get beach volleyball into the Olympics that the FIVB, which is the governing you know, uh, federation of volleyball, said we can't afford to have fours threatening doubles because it took yeah. us so long to get doubles in. And that made sense to me. My own argument was always, well, you already have indoor volleyball. You could take your indoor stars and make them quickly beach stars mm-hmm. and transition them or use it as a feeder to doubles. But it's it's a pretty delicate universe mm-hmm. of space. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's what happened to that. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You could train like a yogi and a spiritual master for 70 or 80 years and get a halo over your head, or you could acquire the halo sport and put the halo on right now. So the halo sport is a product developed by Halo Neuroscience, first launched in 2016. Some of you may recall that I've done a a promotion on this before, and I love the product. It is a neurostim device that stimulates the movement center of your brain, allowing you to learn movements faster, as well as to improve your performance in the movements that you're using when you have the Halo Sport on. It's now trusted by the US military. I know a bunch of SEALs who use it, Olympians, Major League Baseball, the NBA, NFL, NCAA. So elite athletes are using this. I know a bunch of CrossFitters as well. Now they're launching the Halo Sport 2 in June, and they've taken the technology further, brand new app. They made it fully wireless. The headphones work beautifully, like almost like a Bose headset. And it's more accessible because the price point is almost about 50% of what the original was. So it's a win-win. And um, I think it's time to go check it out if you want that halo on your head. So go to haloneuro.com. That's H-A-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. Use the code DIVINE, D-I-V-I-N-E, 
to get that additional discount. So using the code DIVINE will give you the halo on your head at a discount. You got to love that. Haloneuro.com. Use the code DIVINE. And we'll see you on the training floor. Booyah. What do you think the biggest lessons you learned from volleyball and what were also the biggest challenges for you and, you know, for your whole professional career, again, which is something that's unusual for most people? You know, I think my personal challenge again was I was always trying to fit in. I was always trying to make the other athletes understand that I was, you know, working because I trained very, very hard. I was Mm -hmm. always a very hardworking athlete and diligent about my training Um, But because I had this sort of other part of my career that was kind of isolated me away from a lot of the athletes, I think that was the most challenging. Mm -hmm. Playing the game, having to concentrate, winning and losing. I mean, I had one season that, you know, I don't think we won a tournament. That was not easy, but I understood that as, as part of what the sport was. And I really loved the notion of people getting together and being better together than they could actually be individually. That mm-hmm. was something that always turned me on. Mm-hmm. And maybe secretly it was also family that I didn't have. So I remember thinking mm-hmm. that in high school and in college, mm-hmm. it was probably more to do with I'm a part of something and also something positive. Yeah. Right. Like overall, yeah, yeah you might bicker and your coach might whatever, mm-hmm. but overall, listen, when you're playing sports, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was really important. And, I, and I've said this quite a bit, but that lifestyle of training and going to practice and working hard, that really appealed to me because I thought each day I'm a little uncomfortable and that feels really honest to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And everything else that was kind of fluffy or whatever, I was like, okay, at least I know I'm being honest mm-hmm. during parts of the day. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So what, how old were you roughly when you kind of bailed or got out of the I was close to 30. And okay. then I went back. They tried to bring fours back at another time. And I, I certainly kept my fitness up. So I did play a little bit when I was 40 mm-hmm. to play fours. Really? Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I was training. My training is yeah as hard as it's ever been. I just I mean, don't play that's volleyball. That's cool. People are, you know, now pushing the age limits, right? So yeah, you well, can play 50. professional sports in, you know, yeah. like a Brady, right? In your 40s now. Yeah, Kerry If Walsh you take is, care of your body and train, you know, really Absolutely. Yeah. And a sport like volleyball, where you're not hitting your head. Right. No one's tackling you. Right. I mean, if you can keep your joints working well, because you're a jumping athlete. So the, the main injuries are ankle injuries, probably? I would say knees. Knee, knee. And if you, you know, if people have a vulnerability in their shoulder, that's something they end up contending with their whole career. I never had that. Mm-hmm. But shoulder, shoulder is very hard in volleyball. Is it? Yeah, because it's such a complex joint. And that once it's not Again, working all that and you overhead, use it so much, work, yeah, right. I mean, that's your gun. Right. It's, it's tough. So I, I had a knee trip and yeah. So no, and beach volleyball sand, you're barefoot mm-hmm. and you're in a soft uh, surface. So what's happening is two things. Your feet are liberated. So you get to use all your mobility in your ankles and your feet, your toes, you're landing in something soft and you're getting stronger because you are playing in sand. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. sand has some pretty great yeah. things to it for sure. So when you left volleyball, did you pick up a different sport or do you still play like recreationally or in a master's t- league or what do you do yeah. now for 
Oh, for sport. that part? Yeah. Do you have a sport that, interesting. No. that kind of fills that I gap? I was playing volleyball after I played with men. I used mm-hmm. to only play with men. I have a friend in Kauai, a gentleman named Coppin. I played with him for 20 years because I liked the idea of playing with the men because mm-hmm. it was so different than playing with women. You know, women were very intense and we can kibitz about like a, you know, a line and then we take that personal and we could hold mm-hmm. that on, you know, for like six months kind of thing. Where with the guys, it was like, oh, shut up, shut up. Okay, mm-hmm. next ball, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I did play for a long time with them and I played a bit of golf, which doesn't really suit my personality. I have a lot of respect for golf, but um, anyway, so I just, for me, it was then it was like having kids, businesses. Mm -hmm. If I had time for my relationship and to keep myself fit, I was ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. When did you meet Laird? I met Laird in 95. I was 25. And, um, he, I went to interview him for a television show on Maui. So I flew from mm-hmm. California to Maui and I was interviewing quite a few athletes. I was doing like five or six shows during that series mm-hmm. in Hawaii. And Larry was one of my guests. Mm-hmm. And uh, as they say, that was it. That was that, huh? Yeah, that was that. That's all she wrote. But I think we lived <laughs> together eight days later. Is that right? Yeah. That is all. Holy cow. That's yeah. Cool. And um, how quickly did the kids decide to well, show up in your Well, Larry arrived life? with a four-month-old. Okay. So we, I have co-parented. Bonus, right? Yep. With my, for my daughter, Bella, and her mom, Maria, who was always very generous. I mean, listen, it was turbulent for a couple of years, as it should be. Mm-hmm as you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, that worked out. And then when I was 33, I had our first daughter. And then my sec- my third daughter or second biological daughter, Brody, my youngest, was born. She's 11. She's 11 now. So, yeah, three girls. And how is that for you, being a mother? What What's the... You know, it's... Like, a, what was the oof. biggest transformation for you? Mm, surrendering. I think when I, you know, because of the way I grew up, never knowing, I was always trying to control my environment. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, and then you have a small child and you sort of can control them in a way. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously they're going to cry and whatever, but it's like, oh, we're going to move you over here. And oh, we're going to, you're going to wear that outfit. And then they start becoming their own individual self. And I think first of all, I'd hang up if I could be nurturing enough to be a mother, a mm-hmm, good mother. Mm-hmm. And then because of my own insecurity about the dynamic with my mother, I thought, oh, I don't want to look down the barrel of somebody who is pissed at me because I know my dynamic with my mom, you know, it kind of blew up when I was a kid and it never mm-hmm. really, we never really recaptured that. Mm-hmm, right. And that's a long time. And I, mm-hmm. and, the, and as much as it might be a little bit hard on me, I've made peace with it. I think it must be very hard on her. Mm-hmm. So if you flipped it and said, I'm the mom, I was like, I don't ever want to be that's in that position yeah. where I don't want to be the one that I, there's actually not much, some things you just don't kind of get back. Mm-hmm. And so I think I went into parenting with sort of all these like, oh, I hope I can do it. And I loved having babies. I loved nursing. I lo- it was all these things that were new and weird to me that I didn't think I would enjoy. And then your daughters turn into teenagers. And this is where the real growth happens because this is where you think, oh, I have to surrender. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be different than I would have thought, or they're going to make different choices than I would have made mm-hmm. for them. Um, they are going to go through things that I don't want them to have to go through. And they will. And just we're going to do it differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that has been the biggest growth. Because you have a moment in parenting where you go, well, this is how I do it. Mm -hmm. Or you say, 
I'm going to take a look at that. Right. And the tools that got me through a difficult childhood and I even worked with like maybe two of my daughters, what didn't work very well for one of my daughters who, you know, at 13 decided she was going to let me know, mm-hmm. right? Like, Hey, that way that you are is completely the worst for me. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> what much. What a blessing though. To have her say that as opposed to like yeah, repress it. Or 30 it or, years old know, or, at Thanksgiving right. and too many glasses of wine. I don't know. I joke. I'm like. <laughs> That's the way it came out in my family, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Are you Irish? Right? No, I'm just kidding. Well, probably-ish. Yeah. You know, more Viking-ish. Yeah, like are, suck it up, man. Suck it up, and then right. a couple of drinks. And you know, when I was 10, so it, it it does, you have to look at that good side. But I think I have learned more in the last two two years, literally, as a person, as far as like oh yeah, this is uncomfortable. Because it was one thing for me to go through discomfort as a young person that was inflicted upon me, mm-hmm. but to be participate as the parent and supposedly the adult. Yeah, in mutual discomfort. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, this is... Because you know what it is? You're trying to do the right thing. Right. As the parent, like I'm just trying to do the right thing and the best thing, whatever that means. That's like weird. How do you define that? And then sometimes when you miss the mark, like, I don't know, Monday through Sunday, um, you're like, oh, God, this is like so hard and it's so important and I really want to get it right. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's just no way to get it right. That's right. And that, that's, that's where tough. the surrender comes. I love that term for this, for parenting. I don't love that term as a Navy SEAL in general, but. No, I get it. You know, but when it comes to parenting, I definitely had to wave the white flag with my son. I, oh, well, we and it's hard son. And because it, a son to a father, right? It's, it was very difficult. And I recognize that, and, and you said something profound. It's like, you try to do the right thing. The problem is they don't want you to do anything to them. They just want you to be authentic with them and be there for them. Yeah. And so I stopped trying to do with my son and just started to be there with him. Like, he's working on his car. I'll just go out and hang out with him. Like, yeah. I don't even know how to turn a wrench, barely. Yeah. It's kind of sad. My father never taught me that. So if I just go out and hang out with my son, Devin, and say, hey, can I help you out? He's like, dad, I don't want you to break anything. I'm like, <laughs> just hang out. All right. But I'll just hang out with him for a while. Yeah. And, and it's think, really precious time. We just chill together. Well, you know? I think and I'm not doing anything them anymore. feeling like you're taking interest in who they are, the right. way that they are. The problem is, too, is like you're a very defined person with a you know defined resume and like, oh, you're for a sure. tough guy. Yeah. And so for a son, that's a lot of pressure, right? It is, right. And he never... He never articulates that to me directly, but I hear it through his friends. Yeah. Oh, you're going to be like your dad? Are you going to go do the thing? No, no, no. And so secretly, I was so glad we had only daughters because I thought to be Laird's son would be tricky. It would be tricky. Yeah. Right. And, and so, but what I didn't know that I know now today that someone pointed out to me, the joke is, is if Laird and I sort of did anything in life, whatever the bar, we were going to be successful Mm -hmm. because the bar, we didn't have a bar set. Neither one of us. And so then here we think, And then the oh, kids have this bar that they think that. Right. Yeah. That, and we thought the bar was like, isn't it great? It's, we're, we, we are, we have, we can give you opportunity. We can give you good, healthy food. We can create a clean environment for you. And that's how we look at living life. Not like, well, I accomplished this mm-hmm. and here's my right. set of accomplishments. For us, that's outside the gate. It's all mm-hmm. nonsense. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, oh, it's what's happening in the house. But what we didn't realize, and one, and some of our daughters are more s- s- vulnerable to it than the others. It's like what the world is saying so to the, them, right? The social pressure. So what are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there like, here's your oatmeal, honey. And you know what? You do just whatever you do. Do something that you really like and work hard. Like we thought that message was getting through, <laughs> right? 
And you think that you're the one controlling that message. Like, well, if I say it to you, then it really counts. Mm -hmm. And so I actually had a therapist say to me, can you acknowledge that this child of yours is having to navigate something that you never had it's to? It's out of your control. And it's, yeah. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I, you know what? Because we thought safety, opportunity, all these things, mm -hmm. like, we're good. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, yeah, no, like some of your psycho discipline and striving and grinding. And then like, you go places and they're like, Oh, Laird or whatever that can mess with your kids. Mm -hmm. And like, it could be like a CEO of a company mm -hmm. and it's like uh Joe successful. And sometimes that is hard on the kids. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's played out in our son and he's, he has difficulty challenging himself because he's afraid to fail. Cause he's, you know, he's got this yeah. sense where he's already measuring. And this he doesn't is, want to let me down. And this it's is so invisible. subtle and psychological. It's very invisible to him. And it's, and it's, and I think it's in all the dynamics, right? Yeah. And weirdly as parents, I feel like if we can somehow get to some place where we're like, Hey, I, I can make peace with this or I can surrender this and I can keep flowing with it. I feel like we can help them get through that even as, you know, as easy as it could possibly happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but it is, oh my goodness, it's so tough. Like I did the opposite, right? Like I'm going to be right here. I'm going to be the rock of Gibraltar. Mm -hmm. And my one of my daughters said to me one time, and it really, and you could understand this, certain things that are really easy for you are not that easy for me. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay. Interesting. And trying to get them to understand the expectation is, is not that you're me or that you do it the way I do it. Right. I love that. So the kids, I mean, they're all so different and they really come through us or to us, but you know, to think they are like us is a big mistake. No. And, and also yeah. that they might, there's going to might be some pain and suffering. Yeah. And, um, that, that's the hardest thing. Like, Oh, that might, you might, you're going to have some stuff to deal with. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think if you said to me, you know, of all the things, uh, the parenting, because it's so precious, mm -hmm. That has been very rich, and I have doubted myself almost every step of the way. Mm -hmm. And then occasionally, you know, one time Laird said to me, you know, you're there and you love them. And sometimes when you're just sort of really circling the drain a bit on it, I think it's important to go, okay, have I, have I been loving? Have I been showing up? You know, then you start doing this like, oh, I, I didn't play enough on the ground with them when they were young. I didn't read enough. Like you start doing all that weird stuff. And I think all that's Probably pretty normal. I think so too. And I think that everyone does the best they can in the moment. And yeah. ultimately that's all we have is the moment. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I think, you know, parenting and learning through that together with your kids is a profound experience. It is. So well done. My son is adopted. Oh, that's, we, e and that's even he, one he layer. He was born in Maui. Really? Maui general. So he's 20, 25% Hawaiian. Amazing. Yeah, it's cool, huh? That's even one yeah. layer more interesting. But in some ways, you wouldn't, in your DNA, you wouldn't trigger each other in certain ways. Like I have different right. flow with my oldest stepdaughter because we're not actually genetically right. linked. Right. So there's certain things like we don't tweak each other the same way. For sure, because the epigenetics <laughs> and the family epigenetics didn't right. pass down the cultural boo, whatever we yeah. call the background. So it's like <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So that's why when, like, when I was, um, I've said this before on a podcast. I love talking about my son. He's amazing. Um, he's 19 right now. Yeah. Uh, I did, you know, I've been a martial artist for my entire life and I did 
Kempo with him, which mm-hmm. is like some Shaolin Kempo. So mm-hmm. usually they have really good kids programs, and this one instructor is really into kids. And, and so I decided to train with him. What a great experience. I, we trained all the way up to our brown belt test. Amazing. But my son fastidiously avoided any sparring. He wouldn't clash with another human being. He would, we'd do all the katas, and we'd do all mm-hmm. the self-defense techniques. And, and then Sensei said, um, okay, for your brown belt test, Devin, you, you have to spar. Mm. And he wouldn't get out of the car. Interesting. And he looked at me and said, Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to clash with another human being. Pretty good. I said, well, you're a lover, not a fighter then. He goes, yeah. yes, sir, I am. <laughs> I was yeah. like, good. All right, I'm good with that. <laughs> We're done. We hung up our karate geese and that was it for him. You know, Laird said something That's similar cool. when he was younger, that he didn't train in martial arts. He said because he felt like it was breeding the aggressive side of they himself. They can, yeah. And yeah. he's like, I I knew that wasn't going to be good for me. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think it's... I, I was always uncomfortable. I'm very grateful that I was a SEAL, but I'm also grateful that I didn't have to take a human life. Yeah. You know, my, my career just was that, that way. I was meant to be a trainer. Yeah. And, um, and now I study Aikido, mm-hmm. which is the art of peace. Yeah. And it's, it's much more suitable for me. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you about is do you engage your daughters in the training it sounds like you did from this morning did, so how did that right. work out like in with, with your xpt training and now sure. you're bringing people in are they involved in the training are they are they excited about it or is it oh so, no their parents no. do it what are you kidding like, oh <laughs> okay. god look at these lunatics um i think it's like any relationship with a with a kid it's it's an open invitation right so if they if someone's in the pool that they really like or they want to show off to they'll mm. come in Interesting. And yeah. they can do all the moves right? because they've been around it their whole lives. And do they learn them by just watching you or do oh, yeah. you show oh, them? Oh, you know, they've heard all the, the coaching and everything right. else. So, no, they, they're they genius. They, could, bet, they yeah. can teach any of that. It's intuitive, right? We had to learn it through trial and error. Mm-hmm. They just have grown up with it. So they both can do any of mm-hmm. stuff or, mm-hmm. and all three of them for that matter. So it's always an invitation and... um I'm your mom, not your coach. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is a real thing. Like I struggle. I'm so not a soccer mom that sometimes I'm like, Oh, I think I should push them harder. But because I know what it takes to do a sport for real, that if you don't naturally think you want to do it yourself, I actually don't know that pushing right. is the way. I'm not sure the verdict's still out. I see talent, like my youngest daughter, my middle, like my youngest daughter is so athletic and I'm just like, you should play volleyball or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, huh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. Either. I don't know the, you know, cause see, you could really burn someone out. And, and also what is success? That's right. the thing. As a parent, I'm trying to raise people who can speak their mind, right. understand their feelings, have relationships and chart their own path. And Correct. if so, if you channel them into a sport and, and they put all this energy into the sport and then they succeed, What's that at the expense of? Yes. Right? It might be something that they were meant to do. And that's where I'm trying to have yeah. restraint. And Laird as well, he's very good at mm-hmm. restraining himself that way. And also, like Laird's relationship with surfing is Laird's personal relationship with surfing. Right. I played volleyball because I wanted to play volleyball. My mother, it was all she could do not to say, like, almost ask me what sport I was going to college for on a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's nice, dear. You're like, okay. So <laughs> I think it's 
It's that, but then every once in a while you go, hey, well, do they need more structure at the time? So they're kind of loosey-goosey. Mm-hmm. So those are things do that Do they I, like to surf, your daughters? They like the water. Like Actually, the water. my youngest daughter is weirdly likes to surf, mm-hmm. even though she'll never admit it. And she's a great mm-hmm. surfer. My mm-hmm. The girls all have a very sh- deep relationship with mm-hmm. the water. This just popped in my head, but when Laird goes out and it's like a big day, yeah. do you sit home and worry? Well, I don't because. Or do you go out and cheer them on? Or no. Well, a lot of times they're out at sea. Um, you can't see them from unless the shore. Unless you went on a jet ski alongside right, them, right. and um, they go for like six, seven hours. These guys, they're like ever ready. I don't it's know how incredible. they do it. Thank God they need lunch or run out of fuel. But um, I think, you know, with Laird, and you met Laird briefly. Laird, it, it, I would imagine it's not different than the really serious guys in the military. Laird is very serious. Mm-hmm about his preparation. He's not foolhardy. He's not, um, his training is, his output in his training is so consistent. And it's all out of respect for understanding that you're doing something that is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's not that I haven't, and there's been a couple times where I'll call, I'll get them like, cause they go out of dark and I'll say, I had some really heavy feelings. I need you to just be extra alert. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I, it, I always used to say to live with Laird, and him not to do it would be far more dangerous than <laughs> to live with what Laird goes out right. doing totally. because he would not be himself right? Yeah. and the house would be brought down for sure. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, this is somebody in a mission that you support them and the fact of the way that they do the mission. Mm-hmm. There is so much thought and diligence and commitment mm-hmm. to the preparation Right. That I'm like, hey, I respect every way that yeah. you handle it. Yeah, that came through loud and clear when I did the podcast with Laird. You know, yeah. Just how much time and how methodical he was oh. in both his training and also preparation for you know a big attempt or whatever you oh. call it when you go out and yeah. attack a, a set like that. Yeah, Laird's not trying to actually prove anything to anyone. Yeah, right. And He's that just, and that's an that's interesting cool. Thing. I love that that mindset gives him a lot of freedom. It does. Must, yeah. That's a great point. I think, you know, he used to talk about surfing competition. He goes, listen, if you rode a wave the way you were going to ride it based on what the wave was telling you, that might be different than if you were competing. To win the competition. Right? Correct. And so that's why I think part of why he has. He never competed. No, done it that way. Terrific. What does your training plan look like today? Well, I do a land kind of hit circuit Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I and When I was on Kauai, I taught a class for a dollar for about 80 people. And you've um, lived there part of the year and then you're here in Melbourne. Yeah, and then here six months and then I do it with a group of friends here and then Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I'll do about a 90-minute pool workout okay. and do heat and ice. And and the heat and ice, as we talked about earlier, is really for recovery and also to give you a little pause between uh, yeah. you know hit sessions maybe. Yeah, and, and there's something to, you know, like if you said, hey, in recovery, the king is probably the heat. Mm-hmm. It is you know, the more we get into What's the science. What's the quick physiology behind that? Well, you just uh, on every level, the health benefits. So, you know, all cause mortality goes down. Um, Alzheimer's for, especially for men mm-hmm. goes down quite a bit. Um, heat shock proteins. So there's all these sort of things in recovery or prevention that they have real hard science on with the heat. Does it matter what kind of heat, natural heat or infrared? Uh, I, I have, it's touchy because, you know, all the infrareds will say, oh, there's some other deep level s- stuff that's very good for you. However, then there's stuff like where they say, oh, well, maybe it's not good for the retinas and that maybe uh, the collagen of the, sk- of the tissue in the there's skin not enough proof yet isn't good. It. So I don't like to say either. So that's why we just go straight hot. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, it's Laird goes pretty hot. He goes usually around 220. 
Mm. Um, and they even have protocols like Dr. Rhonda Patrick has these protocols like, okay, 15 minutes in, 30 minutes out, 15 minutes in. There's ways to boost your testosterone, things like that. And, um, and then the ice is, you know, just the fact that you put yourself in a situation you don't want to be in. Sure. I think that practice. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that practice yeah. is good. We use ice quite a bit in our Yeah, training. nobody's like, yeah. ooh, yay, ice. Yeah, you yeah, get the jump in the ice. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, you're so full of it. And then, you know, you have thermoregulating and, and overall inflammation and, yeah. and, uh, so and imagine it does the, the two of those together are money, right? So, so if you money. just do heat or you just do ice, it's beneficial. Absolutely. But to do them together. Yeah. And never is magic. do ice in the middle of your training mm. or right after hard training. Because like the blood flow iron. is going to really you, you constrict it. Some right. of your purpose. Right. So I always say to people, space that out. So you do heat before, warm you up, limber, train, 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 mm-hmm. heat, ice. Yep. Something That's like that. That's usually how I do it. Laird starts ice, nothing, three minutes. Interesting. Then he might go heat, then he'll go train, 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 and then maybe do it another way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he always likes to go like, nobody wants to do that? Great, let's do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I, I you know, my training has also, I, I don't want to say change, but I've had to really look at it. Because then, you you know, again, you, you, you're in your 20s, you're going for performance, you're mm-hmm. in your 30s, you're still talking about performance. And then you start going, okay, how do I use this training to move, how I'd like to move for as long as yeah, I It's like about longevity now. I'm wa- walking around, life, right? but still push myself so that I get that growth as a, as mm-hmm. a you know, as a being. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then also be willing to try things that uh, I'd, I'm not particularly good at. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I try to work on that a little bit. Yeah. Like, and that's usually the stretching and things like that. Yeah, and I think that what I love about what we did today is um, it's the same kind of experience I have when I get on the Aikido mat and I'm like flying through the air and spinning and turning. And it's like, I know my brain is just going, because I'm getting really confused. Yeah. And I'm going like, wow, like I suck at this. Yeah. But, and that's not negative dialogue. I'm thinking, no. wow, I've got a lot to learn here. Yeah. And so I can just feel the expansion, the neuroplastic effect of all that. So yeah. trying new things and training in different environments, different domains all the time is really growthful and not just growth of your confidence, right? Yeah. Literally, it's, it's expanding your mind power. That's right. That's right. And, and Laird cool. is a great reminder. He always says, you know, there's only one first day. Right. I'm like, okay. I'm more held back. And yeah. he's like, look, check that out, you know? Right. And so I, I always say I've drafted off of him a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I go, okay, he does that better. I'll tuck in behind mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, try. In addition to your training regimen, which is um, varied and unique, mm-hmm. um, you, you guys are pretty strict with, not strict, but yeah. innovative, I would say, more with your nutrition and your fueling. Yeah. So what does that look like, you know, generally well, for me, I'm, I'm, you know, it's just, you know, we always say plants and animals pretty much. We try, mm-hmm. um, we try to really be careful about the sugar, mm-hmm. uh, cause that's the one that gets, that's you know, killer, yeah. yeah. And Laird is more strict. You know, I think I'm probably seeking more pleasure experiential out of my food, but even still, I'd say if you said, Hey, 85% of the time it's, um, at the, you know, the wildest mm-hmm. meat I can find. And, uh, you know, some kind of vegetables and a col- lot of different colors mm-hmm. of vegetables. And then, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of, of, uh, carbohydrates, mm. you know, like it's okay. Neither am I, yeah. yeah. But you enjoy the flavor. You, you know. Oh, it ha- it's a must. Yeah. So and and is Laird enjoy food? Is he a foodie or would he be satisfied with coffee and, you know, like 
just give him something to sustain himself. I think overall food is fuel for him. Right. But I think one thing I have learned living with him is when you present him with a meal that is also the fuel part is way covered and checked off. Yeah. But it's also then delicious. The enjoyment goes way up. Interesting. You know, yeah, so it's right. like sort of checking that box first mm-hmm. and then doing this and that so that the enjoyment, the flavors, mm-hmm. the spices and things like that. Yeah. And to cook like that, what's the most challenging aspect for you? It's in the the procurement of the right oh ingredients gosh, and the food, right? Yes. Like if I have to go into a grocery store one more time and then, you know, preparation and things like that. I mean, every person who makes dinner, you know, the joke is at one o'clock in the afternoon, everyone's sitting around going, oh my God, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? Like that is like the ongoing. I heard the other day, Gabby, that the average person has to make 400 decisions about food in a day or does. They don't have to. They do. They do. And I'm thinking about that. I'm like, that's not me. You know what I mean? I have my coffee and ample in the morning. And then if I get to eat another meal, it's going to be like a salad-ish, you know, with with some protein. Does does your wife prepare dinner for you? Mm, About twice a week. Okay. Yeah. You know, and then... I'm so, waiting for my kids to move out. And then I said to Laird, that might be the time. Like I would split. Yeah, she used to cook a lot more, but like, yeah. we just don't, Yeah, you know, we don't, we enjoy food, but yeah. we don't go over, overboard with yeah. it, right? And we, listen, we've gone, we've traveled around. We don't make 400 choices a day, let's put it that way. Right, no, we, well, I think we just keep it, you know, simple that way. I mean, there's just certain things that are just not on the radar, right? right? And Laird always says, hey, and I believe in this, it's not about what you can eat, it's about what you can eat. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of foods that you can eat. Mm-hmm. So I try to get creative in that. And that is one thing great about technology, which is like, it's all there. I can yes, find sure. it all. Right. If I get bored of my own recipes, I just go there. My rules are... It doesn't usually take me longer than 30 minutes to prep any meal. Mm -hmm. If it's something special and I'm doing, then yes, it might be an hour. And I can't, like my worst thing is when I started cooking many years ago was like, you'd spend all this time prepping and then everyone ate everything in eight minutes. And I somehow would get frustrated. So I, <laughs> I sort of balanced that out. That's funny. Um, but just, you know, and just, and not being afraid to be experimental and try new things with different vegetables and, mm-hmm. and do different things and ask. If I go to a restaurant and something's really good or they, I will ask every time, like what they did, because that's how you learn. Mm. And most times they know you're not opening up a restaurant down the street. They'll right. tell you. Right. Yeah. What about fasting? Do you guys intermittent fast or do any yeah, kind of longer fast? Yeah. I think mo- we, d- Lair does, uh, I do, you know, I probably, unless my workload is really heavy duty or depending where I am in my cycle of hormones, mm-hmm. um, I usually pr- eat, you know, a very large dinner and have a co- the, the f- kind of fat bomb coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm, right. But then let's say I have more stress or I'm training, I might have a giant lunch and a very small dinner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, and then, uh, you know, every once in a while, just try to go, you know, once. But yeah, I feel mm-hmm. good that way because I just feel like it's like a reset. And I even feel the inflammation just from taking a break from food a yeah. little bit. Oh, that's nice. Just that inflammation besides, you know, all the other health benefits. But yeah, you start to realize like how much food you don't need. Right. And that's the thing is like, if I open up the floodgates of food or snacking, I'm just doing that to do it. That's right. And so it's yeah. sometimes just going, just oh, habit. I'm going to keep in check. So you don't track caloric intake? No, I, I don't, don't do that. I, yeah. I feel like when you're, when, and I have plenty of friends that use the scale and do all this stuff and they're wearing these, all, you know, all these metrics and all these things. But for me personally, again, I've been doing this so long and I tend, I intend to do it so much longer. Mm-hmm. I have to make it 
a real part of my everyday life and I should understand what's happening. Right. Your body will tell you when it I needs some sustenance. I should understand by right? now. Right. Like, am I full? Am I almost full? Am I hungry? Um, have I eaten too much? Things like that. And so we always say, based on how am I sleeping? How's my energy? How do I look? Look in the mirror? Because mm-hmm. I can tell when I'm like, oh, you, there's inflammation. Mm-hmm. And even when you sit down and bend your knees and go like that, you go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also about always trying to be in touch with yourself. For me, with this idea of self-awareness and self-care, then I don't need something telling me yeah, no, how I'm why. feeling. Yeah. I need to understand that for myself. Oh, that's funny because my, my, I had one of those um, Garmin oh, yeah. Phoenix or something like that. Sure. And I never used it. And then I couldn't even figure out how to like use the stopwatch or anything. Yeah. So when the band broke, I just set it aside. Also, yeah. I couldn't stand always having to charge it up. But so then I was like without a watch. The gaming, I, though. Some people love it. I they know. love the gaming. I'm not pushing, they love to measure. You know. And my thing is, like, if that's what gets you turned on and you, keeps you going, go for it. Right. Do it. For yeah. me personally, I have so many other things going on in my mind that I, I, I want to see if I can stay. Right. That's kind of the connected. point I was going to make is the, the, just the drag coefficient on your decision power. If you're going to be quantifying every little detail about your heart rate and your fuel fuel intake, I mean, there's a significant drag on your decision time. Back to yes. those 400 choices a day. Like, if you're going to make, let's say we have a, 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 a finite quantity of good choices before our willpower is shot and our energy is shot. Yeah. You want to be very, very specific about what you're focusing those choices on. Yeah. And for me, it's the human stuff. Yeah. Quite frankly, I mean, like, okay, if you're going to battle, that's something else. Right. But for me, it's like my interpersonal relationships right. and how I can manage myself within those. That's right. My e- words. Emotional, mental management, quality of communication, yeah. presence. And, and that's each one. one of those requires a decision. Yes, and I find them yeah. to be the hardest. I agree. I could go that's train till the cows come home. Right. I could not eat anything or eat something. I can do business calls, mm-hmm. whatever. It's trying to keep drilling down and honing in on myself just as a person and how I'm dealing with my partners, Mm -hmm. my friends, managing my thoughts, Mm -hmm. all of these things that scare me a lot more Mm -hmm. than training because it's then you have to be brutally honest with yourself Mm -hmm. and say like, oh yeah, no, you're acting like that because you're deathly afraid Mm -hmm. or your ego's taken over and you got to get some control of that. So I think for me, a lot of my time is spent saying, okay, me as an organism, as a human being, you know, how's that going? Yeah. Right. Do you have a meditation practice? I do a little Mm -hmm. bit, Mm -hmm. you know, it depends on the day. If there's time for it, I'll do it. But what I have learned to do for a very long time is active meditation. If I'm in a car and there's no one there, I turn the music off and I, Sort of check in. Well, that's the way it is meant to be done, right? But the, the reason you, you know, they teach, the reason you have to sit is because people can't do it while they're walking or, and having a conversation. But yes. ultimately, it's meant to be taken off the bench and it becomes part of your daily being. Yes. So you're already there. Good job. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know about that. <laughs> I just, I, th- it, I think it's that close you, facility, you, mo- you move through performance and you like, oh yeah, I like to, I can kick ass and all these things. And you get through all that. I would imagine you have the same thing for, you know, having been in, in the seals. And then all of a sudden you go, oh yeah, the hardest thing. I still have to contend with myself. That's right. And it's, and people can be like, oh, that's so great. And that's so great. And you go, uh-huh, sure. Let me give you the list of things that I know when I'm really being honest with myself that I, I'm just going to keep 
yeah. trying to yeah. work always, on. Always got more work to do. Always. Always, yeah. For sure. What does XPT stand for? Well, it was, ex, you know, extreme performance training. Right. And, and the notion behind that was getting people wherever they are at to perform at their optimal right. place. So whether even for, if For any domain. So I see a lot of military operators are coming to the training, oh yeah. elite we, athletes, endurance athletes. For anybody. And so, even if go. it's like, hi, I decided to stay at home mom and I've got three kids. And, and a pool in my what? backyard. <laughs> Yeah, or like, why not? They got three feet of water somewhere, right? Right. Is this idea of life is demanding for all of us. And so how do we get you to optimize? And let's have conversations of what those pillars look like. So breathe, move, and recover. Mm -hmm. Because the whole thing with breathing, obviously the essence of Mm -hmm. life, movement, part of being an organism, but then recovery. Mm -hmm. And not like, oh, well, do you have a recovery practice? Yeah, I take off on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. No, like participating in Mm -hmm. the recovery. And so that was another pillar that was really important. And then within that, we discussed food and performance and things like that. And and the idea too behind XPT is it's just really a small sliver of our lifestyle that we tried to put a little bit into a box to share with other people. But the idea too would be like what we know right now, chances are, and hopefully, it might be different in 14 months or sure. eight, 16 months or what have right. you. And we're going to go with that. Right. It's a living program. Yeah, we, we, yeah. I did that with SealFit. I just, we try to put it in a box and it's impossible. I don't yeah. want to constrain it. Well, because it's not honest, right? It's not. Because right. once so you it's dig, always evolving like a Borg. You know, best practices get absorbed and what doesn't work it. or is old or stale and gets spit out. Yeah. And so I think, and, and Laird definitely lives by that. And and so that's that's the hope uh, with XPT. And we have ranges of, we have teenagers to 70-year-olds coming. Mm-hmm. And, and our philosophy is also the same with food. If young children and, you know, grandparents can't do it, mm-hmm. versions of it, mm-hmm. Then it's not probably it's not real. sustainable. Yeah. So, do you have the program developed enough where you can you run it in other locations, or do you bring everyone here? No, we we can run it in we run it in other cities all the time, okay. and other locations, and we even uh, have administered it to other groups. So, for example, there we have had inquiries on some military groups to to do this. So it's it's organized enough too that we can sort of peel out parts mm-hmm. that would benefit certain groups. Yeah. And then also say, okay, well, how deep do you want to go with it? Or how hard do you want to make yeah, it? Yeah. And there's a lot of freedom. That's great. There's a lot yeah, of freedom Yeah, that's there. interesting. That's the way we build our Unbeatable Mind Training. We call them little yeah. Lego blocks. So we'll take yeah. this Lego block from the Seal Fit Crucible. We'll take this Lego block from our performance training. Yeah. And then we just put them all together based upon the needs of the organization. Yeah, and I think that's tr- and true the, to life. And the, their willingness to accept discomfort, which sometimes they don't know and they tell us, oh, we, we really don't. You know, we don't have these people are ready for the challenge. We say, okay, fine. And then we cook them like a frog. Yeah. <laughs> they don't recognize what's happening yeah. until they're done going, oh my God, that was awesome. Yeah. That's we really worked thing. hard. Like you did work hard, but you best. never would have worked hard if we had just given you the no the softball, you know? No, it's one step and then another. Right. The crawl, yeah. walk, run. Pretty soon they're doing things that they never thought possible. And I find that very inspiring for me is to be around all of these people and some professional athletes. And to watch them perform and learn, as you know, because you do this all the time, uh, I think, and that exchange uh, has been, it's... It's magical. Yeah. It is. It's really uh, been something that I i feel is a gift. Laird and I talk about it, because these experiences take a lot of energy, and I'm like, but it is a gi- such a gift back to us. Mm-hmm. If you were to try to summarize your vision for your future, 
And I guess the future, because your future is tied to Laird and XBT and your mm-hmm. family. What does that look like? What's the future look like? 10, 15, 20 you know, years out. I think I, I have done so much always through, like I've almost used work as like a anchor to all the things. And now I sort of, I, I parallel path that with my family. So, in, you know, all my daughters will be grown. My oldest is already grown by that time. My hope is, is that there is a real, like a, a full relationship by their choice. You know, your hope is, right? Like I've always mm-hmm. told my girls, listen, it will be your choice to come back at Christmas. Mm-hmm. You don't owe us anything. Right. You're not obliged. There's only one relationship in the world that's one way, and it's apparent to a child. I always say to people, listen, even, even a friendship, any relationship, ask, what do I get from it? Even if it's the way you live and work inspires me. Now I'm clear why I'm getting, what I'm getting from it. Mm-hmm. And with my children, I've, I've understood you, and I want them to understand you don't owe me anything. So the hope is, is that there is like a real relationship and maybe, and this could be unrealistic or like me being, you know, like, yeah, dream on that they understand something about me that they don't understand now like why I do things or the way that we do things, because then the hope would be that that's part of a life well lived is mm-hmm. if we can go through all of those things and still reach a place where we have that relationship. Mm-hmm. I, obviously I hope Laird and I are still together. We, I, mm-hmm. we joke, it's like, st- you know, for me personally, I just go, Hey, it's, it's one each day. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is like, we, we, we've been together a long time is now we're going to be, we're about to move into another phase of the type of relationship. Right? When the like, kids go, you mean? Or, yeah, when the kids go. And it's also like, okay, if you've been having sex with the same person for 20-something years, <laughs> no, just to like be totally straight up. Right. It's like, you know, is I always say like, is there an expiration on couples? Like after 40,000 times of having sex, they go like, you know what? We're good. I love we're you. We're good. Okay. Bye. You know, whatever. Go we'll try I mean, some, some more ice couple, cream. Some couples it's three. Sometimes it's some couples it's 5,000. Some it's 200. I don't know. And so the hope is, is that Laird and I continue to grow individually and also together. Like mm-hmm. I'd like to, I would hope that we can weather this next time, you know, yeah. Cause there's even like a physiological, like I won't be able to procreate. Mm-hmm. So then like, okay, well, is Laird like, well, my job's done. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just open to all of that. And then on a business sort of level between Laird Superfood and XPT, we have a, a lot of interesting things, but it would be cool if, um, I always enjoy that people will say, Hey, you know, I tried this or that because of you guys and it really helped me. Right. But I often think what I have learned is that you do what you do. And then you let it ride however Mm -hmm. it rides. And so I've learned that more and more of each day you wake up, you do your very best. You have a sense of what you're trying to do because it's important to know where you're Mm -hmm. trying to go. Mm -hmm. But you you don't try to control, this goes back to even surrender, of like what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. You just That's been difficult for me with the corporate structure, strategy, you know, the whole business side. Yeah. Because there are certain ways that it 
you know, that people say it works and there's ways that it doesn't work. And, yeah. you know, and if you just let it go, who knows where you'll end up. Well, that's and when so you, that's when you have a smart one. team with you, right. right? Like, so for example, Leonard Superfood, our CEO, our CFO, our chairman of the board, these are really smart people. Mm-hmm. So then I need three, I need all three of those. I'm by telling the way. you, this is everything. <laughs> Cause Cause I'm, then, I'm CEO, chairman of the board and CFO. No, no, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? Yeah. It is tricky though. How could because you, how, how could how Laird you, bring in a CEO? That, that's gotta be so tricky. Well, okay. I mean, these are the gods again, but the CEO is a co-founder with Laird. Okay. And that business did weirdly well so early. We've had failures. I can sure. sh- show you this. It wouldn't be normal without it. Yeah. Right. Like I can show you the rest in peace wall with the ones like, oh, that was a, remember how much we spent on that? <laughs> right. <laughs> remember how much time we spent on that? You know, like, oh, what, what were we thinking? So we've got lots of those. And so then what happens is, is, and that's also when you know, like you have a little fairy dust. So we have these group of people that you say, okay, I'm going to stay true and focused on the things that I know I'm good at. And also I'm going to keep mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. Like for me on business, I have learned so much mm-hmm. being in business, but I think that that is a big secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trust again, other it, people to help. Yes. And also trusting your gut. Cause they might be someone who can help you. And something in you is like, God, it'd be so nice to get their help, but I don't know if they're right. Yeah. And sometimes you learn that the hard way. Yeah, I've had, I've had a few of those. Of course. Yeah. And we already, we know. So mm-hmm. I think it's accepting uh, quickly, uh, learning how also to pull out, pull like, okay, yeah, this is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, not getting attached to things in a way where you can't let it go. Mm-hmm. Like we think it's a good idea. So it's a good idea. Well, no, let's look objectively. Is this still a good idea? Mm-hmm. So I've learned that too, like not to be attached, like, you know, well, this is my baby. Well, yeah, no, mm-hmm. let go of that. Mm-hmm. In business, I mean, is is the is definitely. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. Like if you think you're really right, like we go through this with packaging at mm-hmm. Superfood, right? And I'll be like, yeah, I think you guys are crazy. And then if I the numbers go up, I have to be willing to send out a mass email and go, you know what? Yeah. I'm wrong. Good job. Yeah. So I think it's all of that. Mm-hmm. You're learning how to be like, what is the end goal, mm-hmm. and how do we do that? Yeah. And, business uh, is, is a great Petri dish for growth, isn't it? Cause everything's oh, there. You everything. got all sorts of personalities, all different levels of development. Yeah. And you have to navigate that every day when you show up. One thing I have so. learned from my CEO at Laird Superfood better than anyone that I've, I've understood is very important. The most in any of the businesses is, is your corporate culture. Yeah. Is, huge. I, I think culture realize, is everything these days. Yeah. I didn't realize how important that was. And it's like, you know, like, okay, for example, I had an interview with the HR, uh, head of HR for Laird Superfood and we were discussing and she goes, well, okay, let's talk about this. Uh, is everyone have to be super in in shape to work for Mm -hmm. Laird Superfood? I said, no, they have to have a real practice for self care Mm -hmm. because it's about vitality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I go, so if you have somebody who comes in and, and we say, Hey, here at Laird Superfood, there's a practice having a regular a real regular practice for self-care we're not even going to tell you what matter that is. what it is it could be yoga it could be walking in the that's right. know, beach that's what's important to us right. and I so i think it's that. like even all of these little nuances that mm-hmm. you start to to flush out because it's he you know we talk about it and he's like i've seen companies that are so could be so successful and do something and the internal culture doesn't reflect the brand right and they unwind from right. the inside they they implode right so i think that that's been important. So is it, how do you have long-term plans and still say, okay, I'm going to be in the moment 
as much as I can and, and keep asking myself, who am I and who do I really want to be? Right. Not who do I feel like I am in this very moment when I want to snap everyone's head off? Mm-hmm. Who am I really trying to be? And also, every time these adverse moments come up, and you guys have this all the time, this is the moment to show who you are. Right. This is the moment to put into practice all the BS that you've been talking right. about. Here it is. Right. And that's been a, a big one. That's awesome. We've got to wrap this up. Okay. So if someone's listening and they're like super inspired about the training, mm-hmm. what would be the place to start? Like, how, well, how do so they xptlife.com and there's all kinds of things. Like you could just go to a breathing workshop with mm-hmm. one of our trainers. So if someone's like, Hey, I want to learn more about breathing. Um, if they want to, you know, take two and a half days out of your life, I know it's a huge commitment, but both time and financially, they can come to an XPT experience. But now we're trying to make it so that other people can get a hold of it. I know eventually they'll actually probably even try to do sort of centers where you could go and do heat and ice and things Mm -hmm. like that and mobility. Yeah. Yeah. And and we will even have a breathing app. So we'll guide Mm -hmm. you through Mm -hmm. certain modalities. So whether to upregulate or downregulate Mm -hmm. you, you Mm -hmm. know, before bed or ready for a big meeting. Mm -hmm. We've got a a ton of those programs. Mm -hmm. Nice. And um, for Laird Superfood is just... Go to Lazy Acres or Whole Foods yeah. and grab and, some. And Laird Superfood um, itself.com has free shipping, so they can either get it there on Amazon. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really is exciting most, products. Most of that is for coffee drinks, but it's also you can you use have it for tea, recovery smoothies. Drinks. Okay. Um, they use the cacao for hot chocolate. We've got hydrate products, so freeze dried coconut with only yeah. two ingredients. So they have like uh, Aquaman. So that's for electrolytes, but it's a natural, Big time. natural electrolyte. Yeah. That's really big time. So we've got that. And then they'll start branching into other products. But right now, uh, we just tried to get this because this is a real representation of a a deep love affair Laird has had with Mm -hmm. coffee for over 25 years. Mm -hmm. Deep. It's deep. (laughs) I I could see that when he made me my drink. You see how ramped up he is? He's awesome. I I always say Paul Chuck was the first one to give him ghee 16 years ago. The two of them, like lunatics. Yeah, Paul's another lunatic. Like in the, in the, I just heard him getting this like (laughs) ramped up on caffeine and ghee. And I wasn't drinking coffee and I was like, oh my God, I got to hang out with these two guys for like the next three hours in a gym. That's interesting. Worst place ever in a gym with Paul Chuck and Laird caffeinated. No. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. There's a lot going on there. So. Yeah, so I think that's the whole thing is Laird's always interested in performance. Like the today when you saw me, he was having chaga tea with caffeine. Mm. Gross, right? I'm not even sure what chaga tea is. But chaga we'll is a mushroom, that, okay. the king of kings. People should definitely look into chaga, C-H-A-G-A. It's okay. really a lot of health benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check that out. Yeah. But you yeah. did great in the pool today, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. It was great. It's a great experience. I wanted to stay in and just keep going. You know, it took me a little while to find my back, find my fins, and we'll do the so real thing. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, no, you can come back. And I've got a little pool. It's okay. I've got a little pool at my place, so I'm gonna. Yeah, we'll teach you everything I'm in shallow, and you can get loaded up. And the one thing about the pool, even if you are literally Aquaman, you never do it alone. Right. And you know this from Navy SEALs. Right. Swim Actually, buddy. the Gotta more talented you are, the more dangerous you are to totally. yourself. Now I remember when I was at SEAL Team Three, the the, the best swimmer. Used to, and we had one of those towers, right, for yeah. the dive training. Yeah. And he would routinely hold his breath for six minutes or yeah. so, just down there hanging yeah. out, watching the students. Yeah. And one day he didn't come up. That's it. 
And he that's just, what we want. You just didn't come up. You pushed the envelope, and yeah. they found them floating down there. And that and that's not uncommon. Shallow water blackouts yeah. are the most biggest threat. Right. And uh, that's why Laird actually we never really overly scrub CO two, but that's why he likes to do drills where, for example, before you even get in the pool, your heart rate's up, or because you have a dumbbell, your chance you will your body will not let you pass out because your heart rate's so high. Right. It's when you scrub and so you go really really calm, and then you just. Go to sleep. That's the problem. Yeah. So Laird's always like, every, like trying to make it as stressful as possible. We're like, okay, we got it. Like we're gonna, we're, we're here. We got this. But I think it's just really important for people to understand that you have to take training in water very seriously. Yeah, absolutely. You know. I agree. So, well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I really My appreciate pleasure. it across the board. All right, folks. That was Gabby Reese. Check out xbtlife.com mm-hmm. and check out Laird's Superfood. Um, terrific stuff. Did it say Laird on the side? Yeah. It does. See, and uh, we'll come back and do some training name. someday or, you know, figure out how we can support each other. You can come other. anytime. You just support us. Just come and play now. <laughs> Sounds awesome. So until next time, train hard, be safe with your training, stay focused, and uh, fuel well, and get at it. Amen. Hoo-yah. Be unbeatable. Mark out.